Today is part one in our Christmas series entitled The Songs of Christmas. The Songs of Christmas. The true spirit of Christmas isn't captured by jingle bells or I saw mummy kissing Santa Claus. We hear the spirit of Christmas in the song Mary lifted to God as she celebrated the gift of the Savior in her womb. We hear it in the words of Zechariah, saying after his wife Elizabeth gave birth to their long-awaited and God-given son, John the Baptist. We hear it in Simeon as he sang a song of hope. And we hear it especially in the song the angels sang at Jesus' birth. These are the songs of Christmas. These four songs capture the, the true meaning and beauty of the greatest miracle of all. In preparation for our Christmas sermon series, I did a little research on, on birth announcements. In fact, I have a couple to show you up on the screen. I have arrived. Next, our latest tax deduction. <laughs> Introducing Marcus, what a sweetie. Introducing Emerson, what a sweetie. Aww. Can we all say aww? And I picked this one. I was thinking of my, my daughter-in-law. We traded silent nights for a new bundle of joy. Today, I'm going to talk about the most amazing birth announcement of all time. The most amazing birth announcement of all time. Please follow along as I read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you're a God who speaks. You're a personal God. And you have a word for every single person here today, for every individual here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent who is our teacher. And I pray through the power of your spirit that you would speak through your servant today. As we look to you in your holy word, I pray, almighty God, that you would quiet our hearts in this busy season we find ourselves in. I pray that you would quiet our hearts, that you would speak to us through the power of the spirit that your word would just come alive and would do what it's sent forth to do. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. In this reading of scripture, there were shepherds. 
The text says they were living out in the fields. Shepherds lived in, in gypsy camps. They were, despi- they were a despised minority who made up the, the lowest class of society, coming in just ahead of those with leprosy. But who were the first to hear of Jesus' birth? Shepherds. Not the temple priests. Not the religious rulers. Not the ruling king. Shepherds. The outcasts of society. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. It was a a night like no other. The text says the glory of the Lord broke through the darkness of night, illuminating all around the shepherds. The text says they were greatly afraid, terrified. The shepherds couldn't believe what they were seeing. There was an angel Luke chapter 2, 10 says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Now, at first glance, that does not strike us as unusual. I mean, who wouldn't be terrified? Right? I mean, out of nowhere, the supernatural being breaks through the midnight sky. We assume that anyone who sees something that extraordinary would be afraid, would be terrified. But I believe there's something much deeper going on here. Something much, much deeper going on here. Throughout the Bible, people always experience fear when they get near the presence of God. Think about Think about that for a moment here today. Often in scripture, an angel is referred to as the angel of the Lord. They're holy beings. If they weren't holy beings, they wouldn't be in heaven because heaven is a holy place. Again, I stress that throughout the Bible, people always experience fear when they get near God or even near the angels who came from his holy presence. You see, it all goes back to the original experience of fear in Genesis chapter 3. There we learn that you and I were designed for a perfect relationship with God who is holy. If you and I have a perfect relationship with the all-powerful, loving Lord of heaven and earth, you and I would have no fear, no fear at all. You would not be afraid of his presence or even the presence of his holy angels. But when Adam and Eve chose to take the place of God in their lives, throwing off his lordship, his rule, his control, when they chose to disobey and rebel against God, it broke their perfect relationship, their perfect um, union with God, and they were filled with fear and became subject to terror. That very moment, we read in in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, And they, speaking of Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. In the Bible, nakedness is often used as a reference to sin and the shame sin produces. Sin also produces fear. We fear rejection and failure. 
If we're honest with ourselves, we fear rejection and failure. But if you had a perfect relationship with the all-powerful, all-loving Lord of heaven and earth, you would have no fear at all. We fear the future. We fear the future. We, We fear circumstances. But if you and I had a perfect relationship with the all-powerful, all-loving Lord of heaven and earth, you and I would have no fear at all because you and I would know that he is a good, good father and he's in perfect control. You and I would trust him and we wouldn't be afraid of death because you would know you would be with him forever. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Here's a big truth today. The lie of the serpent went into our hearts. Went into yours, went into mine. He said, you need to be in charge of your life. How many want to be in charge of your own life? How many are in charge of their life? Or maybe you think you're in charge of your life. Don't let anybody else, the serpent, his lie, entered us. Saying, don't let anybody else be in charge, in control, including God who made you. Don't let him be in control. Don't let him have the reins of your life. Because if you do, you won't be happy. The world's definition of happy. You'll miss out. You'll miss out on so, so, so much. How many many hear those words? They're deceptive. They're lies. That distortion has been passed down into every human heart. That's your heart. That's my heart. And it creates a fear of trusting God. Letting go and letting God. It's a lie because try as we might, we can't possibly get control of our lives in this broken and out of control world. If we believe the lie that in order to be at peace, we need to be in control, controlled by no one, then we will be constantly afraid, filled with fear because as life goes on, we learn quickly that we are at the mercy of People and forces we can neither predict nor manage. We face circumstances totally out of our control. You've lost your job. The company closed down. Totally out of your control. You've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Totally out of your control. You've just lost everything you owned in a fire. Think of the fires there in in California. People totally out of control. And by the way, when you're flying in an airplane, you are totally out of control. Totally. And so the shepherds experienced terror 
before the angel. But it wasn't simply the natural. It was because sinful humanity is radically, radically threatened by the presence of the holy. When God's glory appears, it always puts the spotlight and intensifies our fearfulness because we are far, far from God. Our relationship is broken because of our sin. I'm reminded of Isaiah. The year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting on his throne. He saw angels singing to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Oh, let's try. We have two sections right here. This is section one. This is section two. At the count of three, just begin to, to, to cry out to section two. Holy, holy, holy. And when they're done, section two, you cry out to section one. Holy, holy, holy. Okay, section one, you ready? One, two, three. We read in Isaiah 6, 5. So I said, this is Isaiah. So I said, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. In the presence of the holy, in the presence of the holy God who made him, Isaiah cries out, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I believe there was something much deeper driving the shepherd's fear. They were standing in the presence of of the holy, of the holy, holy, holy. They were the outcasts of society, unholy, unworthy, just like you and me. Those are the ones that God sent the angel to sing to. And the angel had an astonishing message for these shepherds. And he has an astonishing message for you and me today in this season of Christmas. You don't have to be afraid anymore if you just look at what I am showing you. Verse 10, the angel says, do not be afraid. Fear not, for behold, look. 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 Gaze upon, set your mind upon. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Church, the fear that inhabits the deep places of our souls can be dispelled for good permanently. Did you hear that this morning? You might be asking, how? The angel says, fear not, but look, look. Gaze upon. 
Set your heart upon. The angel literally says, do not be fearing, be perceiving. For I am telling you the gospel, the good news. And if you take the time to see, if you take the time to behold what is in the gospel message, it will remove the fear that has dominated and darkened your life. Look at verse 11. The angel sings, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. They couldn't believe what they were seeing and now what they were hearing. This is what they've been waiting for all their lives. Prophets talked about this day. The angel was not just given a location. He was referencing a promise. He was referencing a prophecy given hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament book of Micah. In fact, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, hundreds of years before. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The angel is saying, it is happening right now. This, this promise is happening right now. This prophecy is being fulfilled right now. It's happening. It's happening, shepherds. It's happening, church, right now. It's a real day in history. This is not fiction. It's a real day in history. It's happening in a real city, not a made-up city, in a real city, in a real world. The angel song is personally compelling because we are in the story. Every one of us in this room, every person who's ever lived or is living is in this story. The amazing grace of God. The angel said, for behold, for behold, I I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And I stress all people. That includes us. The angel's message wasn't just for people in history. You and I are in the story. There was a baby. There were shepherds. There was an angel. There was a baby. The angel describes the baby in three incredible and powerful ways. This is for us. This is for us. It wasn't just for those shepherds. It was for us. Over 2,000 years later, it was for us. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel describes the baby born as Savior, Christ, and Lord. In fact, nowhere else in Scripture will you find all three descriptions used together in the same verse. Only here in Luke 2.11 in the angel's song. This is for us. This is for you. This is for me. The baby born is Savior. Jesus didn't grow up into a man and decide to become Savior. He was born Savior. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. 
for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, we may not see the connection between the name Jesus and the phrase, for he will save his people from their sins, but Joseph would have. Joseph was familiar with the Hebrew language. The English name Jesus traces its origin to the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Who is Jesus? God saves. What did Jesus come to do? God saves. Can we say it together? God saves. Who was Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? God saves. The name Jesus means Savior. His name speaks to the purpose of his coming. The Greek word for Savior literally means to deliver. To deliver. Tuck that away in your hearts. Write it on your notes. Salvation is more complex than just forgiveness. And you and I don't just need to be forgiven. You and I need to be forgiven and delivered. You need to be forgiven and delivered from the punishment your sin and my sin deserves. And I'm not always confident that we fully grasp the depth of the reality of our sinfulness. And only the Holy Spirit of God can can make that real and known to us, the very depth of our being. The baby born went from the cradle to the cross. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He, He bore the punishment for your sin and for my sin, saving us from the punishment and delivering us from having to bear God's justice for ourselves. I'm so grateful. Incapable. Incapable of bearing this heavy, 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 heavy load. Salvation is more than just being forgiving. Think of it like this. Imagine that you're standing in a courtroom and you've committed a terrible, terrible crime and you've confessed your guilt. The judge is about to announce the sentence, death. But before he does, you say to him, with a humble heart, broken, your honor, I know that I've done wrong. Your honor, sir, I ask for your forgiveness. I beg for your forgiveness. I I plead for your forgiveness. And the judge is truly moved by, by your plea. And he looks at you with compassion and says, I believe that you're sorry for what you've done and that you regret your actions. I forgive you. I forgive you. I want you to know that I forgive you. I've spoken to the family and they want you to know that they have forgiven you. And then bang! He slams his gavel down and you're led off to your execution. You see, you can be forgiven, but justice must still be satisfied. What you need is to be saved from justice. 
You need someone to deliver you from the punishment that you and you alone deserve, that I deserve. God can forgive your sins, but that will not satisfy his justice. For justice to be satisfied, your sin debt needs to be paid. You need someone to pay the debt for you. You need someone to deliver you. Yes, we need forgiveness. And yes, we need a deliverer. But even that won't be enough. Not only do you need your sins forgiven and your penalty paid deliverance from the punishment you and I deserve, you need to be perfect in order to be right with God. Wow. Can you imagine the Israelites in this heavy, it was impossible to live this perfect life in the Old Testament law. If you broke one commandment, you broke them all. And they kept adding and adding more and more laws. Impossible. Can you imagine the weight that, was, that they carried? How depressed they were. How condemned they felt. No joy in their life. You need to be perfect in order to be right with God. That is what Jesus does. Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Awaken this truth in our hearts. As we celebrate the Savior on the cross and not the sinner at the mall. Spirit of God, open our hearts. Open our hearts. He takes our imperfection and clothes us with his perfection. And he takes the deserved punishment for your sins and my sins. And he pays the price on your behalf so that God's justice can be satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And in the process, you and I are saved. And have been given the greatest gift ever. Not the gift that someone special gave you last Christmas. Or on your 80th birthday. The greatest gift ever is the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal. Have you received the gift of eternal life? Heaven has extended this amazing gift to you, to me, to everyone who by faith would receive. To be saved is to throw yourself on the reality of these truths. To put your faith in, in, to put your faith in them. And to put your trust in them. And through your faith in, in Jesus... God applies the perfect righteousness of his son to your account, to my account, and transfers all your sin, all my sin, from your account, from my account, to his personal account. Once and for all, there was no more need for, for sacrifices to be made in God's temple. The priests were actively offering sacrifices 
to atone for the sins of their people. But Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest. He is seated. He is not working 24-7 offering sacrifices to atone, to save us. Because what he did on the cross, it was once and for all. He is seated. He is seated. Why? Because on the cross, he said, it is finished. No more need for sacrifice. He is the perfect lamb of God sent by a perfect God to make us perfect by clothing out in perfection with his perfection. Come on church, praise his name. He's worthy to be praised. Once and for all, as he hung on the cross, so now by faith in Jesus, you stand before a holy and perfect God as innocent. As innocent. Fully forgiven. How can we keep what's happened to a secret? Fully justified, fully righteous, fully perfect in God's presence. No need to fear. No need to hide. Paul writes into the church in Corinth. He writes in 2 Corinthians, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. When the angel told the shepherds, for there is born to you this day, the city of David, a savior, this is what the angel was communicating. Born this day was not just a forgiver, but a savior, a deliverer. Romans 5, 9 says, but much more than having now been justified by his blood, just as if we've never sinned, we shall be saved from wrath. The punishment we deserve through him. We need a savior. We need a savior, church. At the end of every day, I want to encourage you. Take a notebook. Maybe a notebook like this. At the end of every day, get alone, just you and God. At the end of every day, and write down all the sins you did throughout the day. Do it every day of your life. At the end of every day of your life, find a quiet place, just you and God, open your notebook, and just write all the sins you did that day. Sins that you did by your own choice. (laughs) You chose to do them. Write them down. I was impatient with my spouse. I spoke an unkind word. I was judgmental. I had impure thoughts. I cheated on my test. I was really selfish today. So self-centered. Then, 
after you finish writing the sins that you did that day by your own choice, you, you knew you were committing them, then write down the things you should have done that you didn't do. James 4.17 says, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. I should have asked for forgiveness. I know I was wrong. I know I hurt them. I should have asked for forgiveness. I should have apologized. I should have held that door open. I should have thanked my spouse. I should have. Hmm. I should have. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you every day. Get a notebook. And write. The sins by choice. And the ones. You committed because you failed to do something that you know was good. How are you going to make up for the sins listed every day of your life in this notebook? How do you make up for the sins you do and and don't do every day? Do we really think our good will make up for our bad? It won't. It won't. I'll probably fill this book up my first night. (laughs) Us sinners... We're not environmentally, we're just not, we're just, we don't help the environment. Because of our sin, there's too many trees that need to be taken down to make these notebooks. Can you imagine? You carry that notebook every day. Wherever you go, you're carrying that notebook. You carry it to work. Young person, you carry it to school. You carry it in your marriage. Raising your families. You just carry it wherever you go. You get weary and tired. Sin makes you tired. Sin makes you weary. Sin makes you depressed. Sin puts you in bondage. Sin blurs your vision. Your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. 
and it makes you numb. It makes you numb to the word of God. The absolute truth of God. But the baby born in the cradle, he went to the cross and he saved you. He saved you. He saved you. He saved you. Only Jesus can save you. You can't save yourself. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior to you. That baby born came to save you. He's a personal savior. Religion cannot save you. God didn't leave heaven and, and, and his son to make us religious, but to provide us a way to have a relationship, a perfect relationship with a perfect God. And it's found in Jesus Christ alone. Our good can't. Our good is not good enough. Only Jesus can. He is a savior. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. And everything he does, he does perfectly. And that's why when he clothes us, he clothes us perfectly in his perfect righteousness. It changes everything. We no longer have to be fearful approaching God, but we can approach the throne room of grace, the Bible says, with, with boldness, with confidence in our time of need. Because God doesn't see us in our imperfection. He sees us clothed in the perfection of his son. Can we praise him, church? He's worthy. He's worthy. He has taken this heavy burden of trying to save ourselves off our backs. You who are heavy laden. You who are burdened. He says, come. Come to me, come to me, come to me, come, come. There's room at the cross for you. Come to me and I will give you rest. I'll save your soul. When your soul's saved, you have peace with God. Peace with God gives you rest. This was the purpose of the law, the Old Testament law. It was our tutor teaching us that our good is not good enough. The Old Testament law shouts that we need a Savior. Unto us was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The baby born is Christ. The Greek word for Christ literally means anointed one. In Hebrew, it is Messiah. So when the angel announced Jesus' birth, saying, who is the Christ, the angel was literally saying that God's anointed one, the promised Messiah, has been born. God keeps his word. 
Did you hear that, church? God keeps his word. The anointed one refers to someone who is set apart and given a specific office. Jesus is set apart. He is the anointed prophet sent by God into the world to bring God's word to fallen humanity, to you and to me. He is the anointed king of the line of David, born in the in David's town, who will crush the head of the serpent prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He is the anointed priest who will make atonement for our sin by his obedience to death, even the death cross. This is the one that the prophet said would come. The one you've been waiting for, the angel, sings to these shepherds. He is the long-awaited Messiah, this very baby, and no other baby. None of the babies I showed you in the introduction of of the, the message today. This very baby and no other baby, past, present, or future, is the anointed one of God. He is here. The angel sings. He is here. He sings to the shepherds. He is here in Bethlehem, says the angel. The baby born is Lord. He is Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. The Greek word for Lord means master. In reference to Jesus, it is a title that speaks to his sovereign authority over Everything. Oh, you think you're in control. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the Holy One. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus went from the cradle to the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, crowned, crowned, cradle, cross, and now crowned. King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus stands above everything, every ruling thing, every reigning thing in this world, every authority in this world. Jesus stands above everything, ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. No wonder, no wonder the winds obeyed when Jesus spoke. He was God speaking. No wonder the bacteria fled when Jesus touched the wounds. He was God touching. No wonder the water held him as he walked. Have you ever tried that? (laughs) He was God walking. No wonder people stood speechless as he taught from the Torah. He was God teaching. And no wonder 10,000 angels stood in full attention as Jesus was kneeled to the cross. He was God dying for you and for me. A holy God dying for an unholy people. Luke 2, 
verses 13 and 14 says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Can you, a multitude, too many to count. The word used there in the Greek, too many to count of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. When I count to three, can we all say together, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to, to men. One, two, three. The phrase, and on earth, goodwill to men, is also translated, and I love this, on whom his favor rests. On whom his favor rests. On whom his grace rests. That's why his grace is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's grace, favor, rests on all who have put their faith and trust in the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Peace with God is made possible through our Savior who is Christ the Lord. Peace with each other is made possible through our Savior who is Christ the Lord. And maybe you're in a broken relationship. Don't give up. Pray, pray. Show them Jesus by your love, your kindness. Even when you're rejected, even when it hurts, don't give up because peace in that relationship is possible. And I close. I close in verse 15. There was a response. The shepherds just didn't hear the word of the Lord from this angel and just go on as as normal. There was a response. Look at verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. Has the good news been made known to you? Has the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, been made known to you? In the darkness of night, the light of the gospel broke through. And the good news was made known to those shepherds. They couldn't wait and go and see the one, the Savior born, Christ the Lord. The text tells us, as the shepherds shared, what was made known to them that Mary pondered these truths in her heart. The word ponder is much more than giving thought. She wasn't just thinking about these truths. She wasn't just giving thought 
to these truths. That word ponder has a much deeper, deeper and life-changing meaning. She kept these truths in her heart. She kept these truths in her heart. And these truths were a life changer for her. We can't even begin to imagine what it was like to be the parents of of Jesus. That's a sermon all by itself. But I, I know there were many times where because she kept these truths in her heart, she kept walking by faith. Even when it was hard. Even when it was difficult. Even when she had no control personally. She kept these truths in her heart knowing that there's one greater than her who's in control. I was pondering what it must have been like for Mary when she heard the crowds. Who shouted, crucify, crucify, crucify. This is, this is, this is the one who was in my womb. Who I held. But she kept these truths. She pondered these truths. She kept these truths. As painful as living in a broken, un- messed up, world and the ugliness of the scourging the beating she had a peace that surpassed her own understanding because she kept these truths a joy unspeakable and full of glory because she kept these truths And it gave her what she needed to go on. And she followed her son as he as he carried that cross. And the pounding of the nails. Oh, this is this is the baby in my womb. But she kept the truths. She kept the truths. The one who died hungry agony and suffering and shame taking all the filth all the imperfections sins all of us upon himself the father had to look away she pondered these truths she kept these truths she had confidence in these truths that it was all by God's design as painful and hard as life was and is in a fallen world she kept these truths in her heart join me standing let's sing this together